Welcome to the Purdue Basketball Podcast, Episode 12. I'm uh, Elliot Bloom, joined by the voice of the Boilermakers, Larry Clisby. And joining us today on the podcast will be our uh, our very own Kenneth Lowe, former player and now on staff here working in our video area. Kenny, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Uh, today we're going to look back at our previous two games, Penn State, a win here in Mackey uh, on the 21st of January, won that game 77-52, to and then the big game up in East Lansing where Purdue comes out on top 84-73 over a very good Michigan State team. Uh, Larry, let's get into these previous games. Kenny, feel free to, to weigh in here on some of these as well. Uh, first, the Penn State game. We were coming off that win against Illinois, and then uh, Penn State comes in a noon tip on a Saturday. And I know, I know the coaches and the staff, when you have a noon game, um, it kind of breaks your uh, breaks your routine a little bit. You're used to those seven o'clock starts, and all of a sudden you you go to noon, and I think everybody's antenna goes up a little bit to make sure you get the guys ready to play a little bit. But we certainly were in this case. Well, we've had teams in the past with certain players on it, and I won't mention any of them by name. That you would get a little scared when you had to play a twelve noon game, <laughs> and that's not only because they were doing something that they shouldn't have been doing. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that certain players, you know, based on their everyday living arrangement, some people don't like to, you know, they're day people or they're night people. That's just the way it is. And so you worried a little bit. I, this team doesn't worry me. And I'll tell you why. As far as getting ready for a game, I think it all starts with uh, the big man. And he has such an incredible work ethic that – I think any player that plays with him would be embarrassed not to be able to to follow his lead. I really would. Now, there's a lot of guys on our team that aren't going to go through his routine. I understand that, but you know when he when he puts it out on the floor, he he puts it all out there, and I think it really has had a positive effect on this team. Kenny, did you have any thoughts of that about playing early like that? The new games were those different for you than the traditional seven or eight o'clock starts? Yeah, they were. <clears throat> you have to get a lot of rest. Uh, I like playing early games because you have to, for the most part, you have the rest of the day off. So yeah. you can go play yeah. in your work and That's... then go home and relax, watch TV, do some homework, and just be able to chill. The staff likes that too. We talked about that. The noon games are great if you win them and you get to go home and watch everybody else play and then you get to see that score crawl across the bottom of the screen and when you're victorious like that that that's a great feeling yeah and the other thing is too when you most of the games in our league are playing at night especially on the road you're traveling those games home the same night that you play and so you're getting home anywhere from midnight to three o'clock in the morning a lot of those guys have early classes that's based on you know your practice schedule and um, so Ken's right about that you know, in your mind, you're thinking, get this one out of the way, and I'm going to have, oh, my goodness, I'm going to have maybe two hours to myself where right. I don't have to go to school, right. where I don't have to practice and be yelled at, where I can just sit back, relax, watch a game, or have a good meal or something, you know, and it, it does make a difference. Well, in that game, too, we, you know, we, we mentioned we played pretty well from the, from the opening tip. Uh, Penn State, a team that is young, um, they've got a lot of good players, they're going to be, I think, as you look at them in Iowa in a couple of years, Penn State and Iowa are going to be really good in this league. Yeah, and you don't have any guys that are going to go out early. These guys are going to be around for a while, and if they you know, maintain their grade structure and things like that, they're going to be in the program for several years. 
and I agree with you. Uh, Coach Painter was incredibly wary of Penn State. And if you recall, we got off to a great start, and then they went on a 10-0 run yeah. to get back into the game before the half. Then we reclaimed it, and once we reclaimed it, they didn't have a chance. They, they kind of you know, fell by the wayside. But you could see during that stretch, when they cut that game to 24-20, I believe, that, hey, I mean, these guys have uh, some pretty good talent out there, both inside and out. So um, I agree with you. And they'll be a tough out at Penn State, trust me. Absolutely. And, Kenny, you watch a lot of film on everybody that we play. I know those young guards impressed you just watching as many games as you have on them. Yeah, I think that Coach um, Coach Chambers done an incredible job with that team. Uh, the thing that I was most impressed with is their fight. You know, a lot of times when you're on the road and you're young and you're getting beaten by 15, 20 points, you know, guys tend to give up. Those guys fought for 40 minutes, and that shows the maturity that they've grown over the season so far. So, like you said, in a couple of years, they're going to be a good team. Yeah, he Coach Chambers is a real feisty competitor, and his team plays like it. They're always a tough, uh, tough opponent. Then we moved ahead, had the weekend, uh, or had the Sunday and Monday to prepare, flew up to East Lansing Monday night, practiced up there, and then uh, got, to, got to work on Tuesday against the Spartans. Uh, an incredible stage, so to speak. Uh, you know, ESPN game, um, the Izone was ready. The storyline, obviously, was the fact that Big E was, re- you know, playing in East Lansing for the first time in his, uh, his career at Purdue and obviously a former Michigan State commit. Um, so that got built up. But I thought any, any worry about how he was going to handle that, uh, boy, was really impressive how he did handle it. I mean, he walked in there like he was the most mature person in the building and uh, had an unbelievable game. Well, he had a lot of help there, too. It was uh, preached to him on a constant basis by more than just one person. And uh, to his credit, he uh, absorbed it all and and really, really handled himself as as well as anybody could under those circumstances and put on a a tremendous performance. 25 and 17 by any standard is incredible. 25-17 25-17 at Michigan State, uh, I haven't seen. And uh, I've seen a lot of games up there. And so that that was quite impressive. The other storyline, though, Elliot, was this was the start of five games where we had four of them on the road, two yep. on the road, right? home game, two more on the road. And not at easy places to play. We have Michigan State, Indiana, Maryland on that road list, and Nebraska, who's played fairly well this year. And then a very difficult home game against the Northwestern team that's trying to vie for the tournament. So the other big storyline, other than Biggie uh, playing in the Breslin Center, was how will this Purdue team react to now this start of this gauntlet that they're going through? And the thing that just blew my mind uh, when this thing was all said and done, didn't think about it until it was over, until I saw the stat sheet, but... Purdue's five guards played 108 total minutes on the Breslin Arena floor and did not have a single turnover. I don't know if that's ever happened before. We don't keep stats like that. But I'm telling you, I don't think I've ever seen it, and especially not against a Michigan State team, albeit not as good as they've been. But this idea, and I've heard some Purdue fans say it, well, that's a bad team. No, no, you're wrong. They're not a bad team. Right, right. They're a young team that had their star player missing for seven games. Right. And uh, 
by the end of the year could be a good team. They're an above average team that could turn out to be a good team, but calling them a bad team, maybe a bad team by Tom Izzo's standards, and he has a pretty high standard, but this is a very talented team. Well, and when you play him as well, this is a team that coming off a loss down in Bloomington, they we got their best shot. And yeah, that was, two, they came in on a two-game losing streak. And that was very evident. We got their best shot. That's a This is a team that is playing for their NCAA tournament lives. And when you play at home and you're trying to play to get into the tournament, you're playing as hard as you possibly can play. The extra motivation being coming off of two losses like that. They gave us their best shot. They, they, they made shots in the first half. A lot thought, of them. I thought the most impressive part was we got down eight. In eight in the first half and how we responded. We always seemed to ring the bell when they went on a run, when they got that lead in the first half. We were always able to answer that. And when you do that and you answer the bell each time, then you start putting doubt in their mind. And I thought our guys did a great job of answering every challenge that was thrown. No, out. I agree with you totally. And it was, you know, quieting a crowd that is in, incredibly difficult to play in front of. Not only are they loud, they're vocal, and can get personal. So right. I mean, <laughs> Kenny understands that and, if, and have been part of that. So um, I thought if you're going to start, if that's a way to start a road trip, and four out of five on the road, that right there is the template. And I'll tell you another thing. People say, well, you know, Purdue won by 11. They are one-point favorite, and this isn't the same Michigan State team they've been in the past. Uh, they've won 83% of their games since that building's open. Um, it's a very, very difficult place to play, one of the most difficult in the country. Now, there's a reason for that. They're one of the top programs in the country and have one of the great coaches, a Hall of Fame coach. But to go there and win by 11 points, and, uh, you know, we've only done it one other time where I left that building a few years ago when J.J. had that incredible game up there. And right. we left uh, with a 20-point win. Um, the only other time I can remember where I felt so comfortable in the last two or three minutes of a game. Yeah, and I thought the, the impressive thing was going into that game, you wanted to limit – them in transition now they got their share of fast break points but the other area of concern and it's a area of concern every time you play michigan states on the glass i'll rebound them. and we out rebounded them uh, by 13 but they only had four offensive rebounds when when was the last time purdue out rebounded michigan state by 13 yeah, man never man I, I mean that's an and here's the other thing when we talk about winning on the road what do you have to do out rebound them limit turnovers you know, you're going to have to guard, but sometimes you can guard, some teams guard better than others. Make shots, which we did, 11 to 21 outside the arc. Shot a high percentage, but then make free throws, huh? 21 to 24 at the line, a big, big difference. And right now, this team doing some pretty good things because they're leading the league in free throw shooting. They're leading the league in three-point shooting. They have some of the best interior players in the country. I mean, there's a lot of things to really look, you know, positive about. You brought up the free throws. I was kidding with you two before we started taping here that uh, the Cliz loves good free throw shooting. I mean, harps on all the time, and uh, and and Kenny, you were one of the you're one of the all time great free throw shooters in our program's history here at Purdue, um, and we shot it well, twenty one to twenty four from the line. 
but those are just so important as you go down a stretch. And, and Kenny, you played when a team just constantly answers the bell and makes their foul shots. It's if you're the other team, it gets a little demoralizing because they're not cracking. Yeah, I thought our guys had a mature focus going into this Michigan State game, and it showed. We didn't get rattled. You know, we took their punches throughout the game, and and we answered their bells. So when our bigs are making their free throws, I think it. You know, it just gives everybody more confidence because we know that what we're going to do, we're going to try to get the ball down low. And to be honest, when those guys are one-on-one, it's, it's really hard to stop them. I don't care who you are. Um, and then when they're making their free throws, it's just going to be a long night for the opponent. And I think Isaac this year has done an incredible job of, of shooting free throws. Yeah, that's a he gets fouled more than most guys, so he's going to be a little bit more. The big guys are going to be at the line a little bit more. Back to just Michigan State in general, you played up there before. That's always in the top of the you know league in terms of the atmosphere as you go into as a player, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, um, Coach Izzo's done an incredible job there uh, protecting his home court. Uh, you can start off well, but the one thing they always do, they always fight you and they always rebound and they try to out-tough you. And, you know, during my years, I don't think we had any success uh, winning up there. So for me to be on staff and get this win, it was it was incredible. Yeah, that's always a good feeling going to those buildings. Now, the thing is, since we have a lot of, like with Coach Brantley, obviously Coach Painter, Kenny, all playing here, there's always a lot of stories going into buildings about, you know, who won here, what, you know, the games you had here. Of course, we've, it's been pretty well documented. Coach Painter remembers just about every game he was involved in, and he'll tell you, you know, stories and, and incidents when, of games that they played. And, I know, Larry, you're involved in a lot of those. And one of the stories that always comes up is the uh, race for the Big Ten title when he was there up in East Lansing and how that didn't turn out well for us on a bad call at the end. So there's always stories when we go in these buildings, whether it's at practice the night before or shoot around the day of the game. Well, I was shocked um, because Matt and I talked about that at length. Uh, He didn't recall how they traveled the night before that game in 1990. And it was... uh, one of our worst travel days ever and uh and he doesn't he he had no memory of it which shocked me is, because he shocking. i mean he remembers almost everything you know to the letter letter about his career and about you know anything basketball so i was i was pretty surprised so i just told him i said well you must you must have slept through the whole thing <laughs> because i was wide awake and you remember um Elliot, uh, just a few years ago when we had to, and uh, you you made the arrangements on that trip is when we got stuck on the tarmac and they wouldn't let us out during a snowstorm and we had to sit out on that plane for about three hours. Eventually they called us back. Then we had the bus up to Michigan State the day of the game. It was a noon game. Yeah, noon game. And we bussed up there in a snowstorm. That, that was one of the all-time worst. Well, this one that I was speaking of back 1990, which – that game was played for the Big Ten championship and went down to the last minute of the play. And uh, any Purdue fan will remember Steve Scheffler was accosted uh, at about uh, 40 feet from the basket, lost the ball. after trying to foul on purpose. Yes. And the ball comes loose, no call, and they go down, lay it in, and end up winning the game. They storm the court. I mean, it was it was a big deal, but – that was a we didn't get in that night until about two or three in the morning yeah that's one of the things when we go on these trips and all the the behind the scenes stories about the buildings we're going in it always reminds me of a story this is a little off off subject but 
when uh, Larry Bird was coaching the Pacers, they used to say when they would walk into arenas, they would ask Reggie Miller, "How many? You know, what's your career high in this building?" And Reggie would always, you know, ah, oh, 38, you know, 41, you know, whatever it was. It was always a, a high number. And then when Bird was the head coach, they would look at Bird and go, what about you, coach? What would you have? Like 54, 56, <laughs> you know, 48. You know, it was always a little bit more than what Reggie had in some of those buildings. So those are uh, those are some of the cool moments that we what had. What was yours, get. Kenny? In the Breslin Center, what was your high? Ooh, I have no idea. It's probably a good eight. <laughs> <laughs> I know this. If there are free throws involved, you probably made them. So, uh, well, Kenny, let's let's uh, let's visit with you a little bit more here. Um, for fans that don't know, um, tell us about uh, when you finished your playing career here at Purdue. You played several years overseas. So, talk a little bit about that journey. Uh, maybe some of the places you went and some of the uh, some of the cities you lived in. It was a journey. It was up and down. I didn't start off well my first year. I was in Turkey. I was playing in the Turkish league and I got my first two checks and I didn't get the next four. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I was young. I didn't, um, I had another rookie on my team and I had a veteran point guard, but he didn't care about me. You know, he was just trying to get his stats and points and I was frustrated. Um, I've heard the stories about being overseas and not getting paid, but to be a part of it, it was, it was frustrating, but luckily, I had more money than I ever had in my life from the first two checks. So, you know, I didn't really get down on myself um, or I didn't get, you know, ready. A lot of guys get ready to get frustrated and just want to quit. So I stayed and stayed and stayed um, probably another five months. And then uh, my agent decided that it was best for me to leave. So it kind of, it didn't start off well. I started off well scoring, but once they stopped giving my checks, they stopped playing me. So my averages started to slowly go down. So it looked like I wasn't producing, which is, you know, the little games that these overseas coaches and organizations play. So I still continue to come to practice and be professional. And me and my agent decided it was best that I leave. So after that, I, I came actually came back to Purdue and this was um, the winter of 05. And so I stayed down here once I left, came back from overseas and I stayed down here from March through the summer and I worked my butt off. I was I was in a gym two or three times a day, at least two times. In the summertime it was three three a days. And I never forget um one of the guys came up to me and this was Coach Painter first year and I guess Coach Painter went in on the on the guys was like, I see Kenny in the gym more than you guys. He's the only person <laughs> around here I see working out. So I was just hungry and I wanted to go and prove that I can still uh play. So the next year I end up going to Finland and I was doing really well. I was averaging probably about 25 points and a team in Germany, which is a better league, ended up buying me out my contract. So it, it, it paid off to, you know, keep my focus, my focus and keep working hard. And Finland is where you played the longest? That was your longest 10-year spot overseas? Yeah, it was my last four years. And you enjoyed living there? Uh, No. <laughs> Too <laughs> I, cold? <laughs> yeah. It was cold and dark. I enjoyed the organization. Uh, it was like family, remind me of Purdue. So, you know, I I didn't chase the money like a lot of people do. I chased the situation and the comfort. You know, I was um, it was like family there. I got really close with the owners. Um, the coaches changed when I was there, uh, so I had a couple of different coaches. But my teammates, you know, I when I first went there, they were like seventeen, so I knew them their whole career. So it was it was a good team. You know, nobody played for themselves. 
so I felt comfortable and I stayed. When you were over there, did you see other Purdue guys any, at any time? <laughs> yeah, it was funny. In my first year, I played against my teammate Willie Dean and I played against Chris Booker. Uh, it was funny, me and Chris Booker, we didn't speak from when he got ineligible until we played against each other overseas. I was so pissed at him. <laughs> <laughs> but we ended up talking. Uh, we got cool. And I actually hung out with him a night after one of my games because I was flying back to the States. And he stayed in the capital. So we got a chance to catch up and, and just hang out and talk about life and basketball and stuff. So it was pretty cool. Yeah. And it was also cool to outscore, outscore Willie Dean because he always <laughs> outscored me here at Purdue. <laughs> and to beat him. A lot of people don't know, uh, Kenny, how good a player Chris Booker really was. He was a really good player, and for people who aren't familiar with Purdue and listening to this, he was ruled ineligible when that team was uh, really flying high. They had just come back from winning the Great Alaska Shootout, beating number two ranked Duke, and uh, really had a good team. But he was he was a t- one of the top bigs in the country, I think, by the time it would have been all said and done, and. He became academically ineligible. We lost that game to SMU. Kenny got hurt not too long after that, started the Big Ten season, and and then, you know, we tumbled a little bit. But what could have been could have been pretty – could have been really good. Well, Kenny was so good in that Alaska shootout, and I don't want to – I'm not trying to inflate his ego here. Kenny has no ego, by the way. He's a, he's a very humble guy. Uh, but we – but that's the first thing Coach Katie always says. Now, for our listeners, Coach Katie has favorites, as every coach does. They can say <laughs> sure. what they want. They're going to say, you know, oh, I love all my players. And they do, but they love some a little bit more than others. Coach Katie uh, has Kenny right near the top of his list. I promise you that. He loves Kenny Lowe. And uh, one of the stories I, I always tell is when we beat Duke up there in that game, and everybody goes out on the floor for the trophy presentation. Everybody's really happy and celebrating. And Kenny came running over and jumped on Coach Katie's back. And I thought I thought for sure Coach Katie was going down. <laughs> and he did. He stabilized. And Kenny just – I couldn't believe that you would do that. And, but that's the kind of relationship you guys had. You guys were very close. I know you really love Coach. And uh, I just remember when I saw that, I got, you know, exactly how close you were just from that kind of embrace after that game. Yeah, Coach, was a, he was a great man. The thing that I liked about him most is that, you know, he, he taught me how to be a man and to be a mature guy. Uh, he cared more about helping guys grow than basketball, and I think that's important in coaching because, you know, these parents trust trust coaches with these kids for four years, with their kids for four years. So, you know, to help them mature and, and learn how to be an adult, them being just a good basketball player, I think is, is, is a great life lesson. And that's another thing, uh, you know, I'm asked, you know, in my 40th year here, who's the best player? Who do you like the best? And I'm just like the coaches or like other players, you know, I have my favorites. And uh, Kenny's among my favorites, more so than his free throw shooting, which was spectacular, but mainly because, one, he was humble, and, two, he fit the uh, Boilermaker mold, which was play hard. If any, if you could put anybody up there on that, uh, if you could uh, take him a poster and just slap him on the wall, you know, Kenny Lowe would be the guy would, that would uh, certainly say 
play hard because he was he was just great at it, and he got his best every game. Yeah, know? and and uh, two time Defensive Player of the Year as well in this right. league, and one of the. That's one of the traditions we have in our program is, uh, you know, play hard is on our shorts, but the defensive mindset, you know, hard, tough nose. Um, the the coaches will like to uh, pose the question to Kenny all the time about who's the better defender, him or Chris Kramer. And, of course, they, they will say Chris to get Kenny going. <laughs> and, of course, Kenny will fire back. Now, both were too, too – t- uh, you know, both each of them were two-time defensive player of the years in the in the Big Ten, so they both um, were right up there. And uh, you know, when you played, some of those guys, most of those guys, if they've if they're in the league, they're close to retirement. Yes. Uh, but some of those guys, I mean, there were some big names in the league when you were that you were guarding night in, night out. Yeah, I try to tell Coach Owens uh, real off the guys that I had to guard and. It shut him up a little bit because, <laughs> you know, he had no clue. He, he would always name off the Eric Gordons of the league. Um, that's the guy he talks about the most when um, when Chris was playing. But, you know, I can reel off, just name the school and then I'll reel off a guy. So uh, it shuts him up a little bit. But the one thing that's funny, I remember um, calling the office and uh, I was I called Kathy. I just wanted to call the coach he had her doing. I was in Europe. Mm-hmm. And Chris happened to be in office. So, um Kathy had told him, Kathy O'Brien told me Chris was in here, so, and this was in, it was early, and it was like September, it was before the season started, and so, you know, I talked to Chris, I said, hey man, go out there and, and win another defensive player of the year, you know, I'm, I'm rooting for you overseas, uh, good luck to you guys, and just keep playing hard, because the way you represent Purdue is the way it should be done, so, I felt like I gave him a little speech before he went, he went and won his second one. <laughs> you want a little, you want a little credit for that, you want, you want two and a half, is what you yeah. want, you've, uh, you've always been yeah, and you are one of the guys that I mean I, I would say for the most part and we've always uh, talked about the Purdue basketball family um, and I think we have more guys who stay in touch with the program than most I would also say that uh, you stay in touch or stayed in touch when you were away from the program uh, very frequently I know you and I talked quite a bit I was the SID here at the time when you played and uh, we would talk quite a bit when you were overseas and a lot of times when you would come back in the summer um, and you were always great about talking with our current players mm-hmm. um, about just just life and you know basketball and work ethic and things like that. And that's so important um, that those guys on our current team hear an outside voice because the coaching staff, their voices, they hear all the time. And when they can hear that from a guy who's been in their shoes, that's a huge plus. And, and you did that as a former player coming back, working out in the summer. But you do a great deal of that now with our guys, too. Yeah, I thought I, when I came in as a freshman, I came into a great situation where we had five seniors. So I was the little, I was everybody's little brother. <laughs> and, you know, they taught me um, how to deal with Coach Katie in the summertime before the school year even started. So I had a good idea um, about what it took to be a basketball player at this level and, and to play here. So, you know, after that teaching, I always wanted to be that guy. I always wanted to help the guys and, you know, um, give them all the advice I can about basketball life whatever it takes because at the end of the day these are kids and a lot of them are misguided they don't have great people in their lives so it's it's always good to you know give that helping hand and you know to this day I feel like that's that's what I'm here for you know once I stopped playing basketball here I wanted to keep it going because you know in my opinion I think Purdue is the best situation in college basketball as far as um, growing into a man and playing um, in a power five conference so, you know, we got to continue to keep this going. I think Ray Fell is, is doing that now. 
um, what I did. So we got guys that uh, Etwan and, and Robbie, Juwan, they do a great job when they come back in the summer with the guys. The guys absolutely love it because um, they're they're human. Like they're so humble and, and so down to earth. Um, the guys love the stories that they give and the advice that they give. So it's important for us, the former players, to to give back in that way to help these young men. The other thing I would like to bring up too is that so often this is misinterpreted as a former player, and that is we, old people like myself, if I was just a fan and wasn't part of it, we're so quick to judge and not understand that these kids are between the ages of 18 and 23, right. and they're just beginning their adult lives, to be honest with you, and it's at a pretty high level. A lot of these kids come out of high school, and all of a sudden they're thrown into an environment. Yeah, some have played AAU basketball and traveled a little bit, I understand, but it's still a whole new ball game. It's uh, being able to make trips. It's, uh, you know, dealing with time. And then then you get these sidebars that are thrown in there. You have school to attend, and here it's a big issue. Uh, some places it isn't. Right, right. I, I went to one originally. No knock. I'm not going to say where it was, so I won't hurt their feelings. But I'm just saying that an argument with a girlfriend, you know, Back when I'm calling games, I get an argument. I still got to call the game, right? But I don't have to play. So I'm not worried about going 5 for 10 from the field. You know what I right, mean? Right, right. So you have, uh, you have that. You have the pressure of going to school. You have the pressure of pleasing your coaches. And as an ex-player, and you have to understand this, a player. let's say, for example, and think about this as you're listening, you, you'll have a player – who does everything right, everything right, on time, does what he's supposed to do at practice, da-da-da-da-da, and yet he can't impress a coach. He can't impress any of the coaches. And he sits, and he sits, and he sits, and he boils, and he boils, and he boils, because he knows in his heart. And then he starts having, you know, people close to him say, hey, how come you're not playing? I thought you were pretty good. So these are things, and and we hear stories about it all the time, where you have these grudges, and you have. Uh, so it's tough being a being a student athlete at this level, in my opinion, and I just don't think we ever think about that. And it transcends into the pro game. You know, we're watching these games on Sunday, NFL, NBA, whatever. They're still, most of them are still between the ages of 19 and 26, 19 and 27, because we give them millions of dollars. Does that change? No. I mean, these these guys retire when you're probably in the position in your life where, hey, I've learned some. You figure out. I've learned some things, right? (laughs) Right. So it's a, and I don't think we ever, as fans, really get a real good beat on that. Well, we're in a day now. I mean, every game's televised, but also the way it's televised. I mean, there's, you know, 30 cameras. and I'm not 30. But <laughs> exactly. But there's, exactly. You know, there's six cameras on a broadcast. You're getting every angle. You know, you go from you play high school ball, and you can kind of do your own thing. Now, sure, you're going to get reported on, and social media's out there now. I get that. But like you said, now you come to a college campus. You come to a place like Purdue, and now – 
just about every minute you are on that floor is documented for all to see. And when you walk to the bench and you make a face that people don't agree with, exactly. Now all of a sudden, now how how that scrutinized <laughs> the level of scrutiny you go from from high school to that is it's it it's incredible. And we tell our players, and I think Coach Painter does a really good job of this, that there's a trade-off. You know, you are scrutinized because you are an athlete, and the trade-off is. You get to do some pretty cool things. You know, you get to you know we get to travel first class. We stay in great hotels. We uh, they're treated um, with the, all the amenities that our players get, and they're and in return they're expected to play hard and conduct themselves in a first class manner. So there is a trade off there. But you and, and Kenny, you can speak to this. You lose as an athlete at this level. You lose some things that normal students don't. You know, the the ability to just go across campus right. and not be recognized. <laughs> When you're having a bad day, uh, those are gone. I mean, you have to face it every day. Yeah, uh, it's funny you say that. I went to a women's game last year, and I ran into one of my old teachers, Al Crispo. And um, our, some of our guys was there watching the game, supporting our women's team. And um, Al, was, he told the guys that he had me as a student, and he said, here, remember, every time I lose, I would come to class. I wouldn't say nothing. I would look pissed. <laughs> <laughs> he was scared to talk to me. And because I told the guys that, you know, the way I took it, well, the way I took losses, and they were probably like, ah, whatever, Lord, you're just saying this. But yeah. then when, when my teacher, my former teacher told them, they, they believed it. But, yes, it's, it's tough, man. You know, at the end of the day, it is a game, but you put your all into it. So um, that's the thing I try to help them with, just to, to understand that, we gotta we gotta take it to heart, but then you gotta move on, and that's right. hard to do sometimes. Because especially when you're a competitor, you it boils in you. You know, you're so mad. You could have done more. You could have made a couple of more shots, but you know, we gotta move on to the next one and try to forget about this one and get the next win. And that that's really hard to do for a competitor. Well, and we're in a day and age too with social media too that you've got hundreds more quote unquote media outlets whether or not they're legitimate media <laughs> outlets or not but you have people now that have a voice uh, through social media and as Clisby alluded to there's some things that go on in young men's life that go on in everybody's life girlfriend dumps you maybe you don't do as well on a test that you th- as you, th- as you thought you were going to do you maybe there's a, an issue back home with your parents or your family mm-hmm. members and now you're expected to go out and play and it's only human to have dips like that but when you have the dip now the questions come well why'd you play so bad right well well tell tell us about that why did you go two for ten so what's a what's a guy supposed to do he's but well you want to know why uh well my dog died at home and i was really close to that dog exactly and, I, and it's that's the part that uh when you're on the inside as we are with our guys um that's when you try to be there for the guys and and when you see them struggle and you know they have things going on in mm-hmm. their personal life that don't need to see the light of day uh, that's tough to see because yeah. that's when you want to go to the guy and just give him a hug and say hey man this will pass hang in there but in the meantime he's got to face that screw yeah but i like you said though it's so different now i mean because because of social media i mean you can't do anything right i mean if you go into a, if you're of age you're 21 and you go into a bar and it's off season, you got people flashing pictures. Hey, I saw you here right. tonight, and then it's post. Hey, I saw this person, or I saw that person, and I know this uh, during my career, especially my 15 years in television. 
uh, I wouldn't have lasted three years, you know, because people would just would just harass you to the point where you wouldn't be able to to do it. So I find it amazing. I mean, I really do. And, and these, and I call them kids. They're not kids. They're young adults. But I, I look at them and see what they went through the other night, Michigan State. I, you know, I'm I'm up there two hours before the game, and I'm in the arena, and I'm seeing what's going on, and cameras are everywhere, and people are doing everything to publicize this thing, and now they're going to throw the ball up. Now we're playing, and they're getting to play the game that they love, but boy, are they scrutinized. I mean, they are scrutinized at every, every turn of the, you know, wheel, so. And it's instantaneous. You know, it used to be when a game was played, you didn't digest it till you picked the paper up the next. No, no, week, exactly. You know, so yeah. you had like there's a cooling off period. You know, you got to sleep. <laughs> well, Tom Izzo went nuts at halftime with his halftime interview. Yeah, and and said some things he really probably shouldn't have said. Now he'd tell me to my face right now. You know, shut up. And but having said that, he probably could have been a little more gracious and walked off the floor. And that's one of my complaints always has been why do they have to interview a coach at halftime when you're mad but and that guy when he gets mad you know like our own coach katie when coach katie you know there was times you really didn't want to talk to him i mean to be honest with you but having said all that immediately that is posted somewhere and it is scrutinized yes and uh, you you know our engineer west scott is up to date with all that stuff and you know by the time that happened i mean it was within 90 seconds where the reaction was everywhere <laughs> yeah it is amazing and, and so and, and so yeah and, and no but if you're a, and now you can there's no cooling off for anybody because you immediately pick your phone up and you make your voice heard and a lot of times the people who step over the line or say something that they if they had that night's sleep and they oh, could, absolutely. And wake up and they're not going to say no, that absolutely. thing the next morning. And the other thing is, too, is the people who post as the game's going along. So you're down 8 or 10, and then they just rip into everybody that exists. <laughs> right. And then you come back and win the game by 10. You don't see the – you don't see, oh, well, I probably shouldn't have said some of that stuff. You know, it's like, so what? Yeah, I, I would struggle um, this day and age of basketball with the, with the social media because – I'm, I'm always going to take up from my teammates no matter what. I'm always going to take up from my coaches. So for me to see that, that type yeah, of stuff, I, I, would, I would probably say something back, back yeah, when I was 18, 19 yeah, years You and old. I talked about that before. It was like one of those, you made a great point um, that you, you made the point to me, and I don't know if you remember this, but it was when you first got here on staff, and we talked about that very topic, and you said, I wouldn't be worried about myself. Like, he goes, I can take it. But you said when they went after my coach or my teammates, I'd be firing back, and that is that is so true. You because you know the real story, right? And it, and that's just from being around it. I mean, it, it'd be the same. I and I've learned this lesson. Um, I grew up a Indianapolis Colts fan, and my dad's a diehard Colts fan. And whenever there's something going on, I always take a pause when I'm, you know commenting on a situation involving that team or any team because at the end of the day I remind myself I don't know all the facts I don't know what goes on behind the scenes I don't know what goes on that locker room and it's really taught me um, to kind of take pause on you know you can comment on play on the field because Mm -hmm. everybody sees that but at the end of the day you don't know the, the the kind of behind the scenes story that goes on with every team so 
um, as we as we know, lots lots go on behind the scenes that uh, that affect teams. Okay, so Kenny, uh, our final four questions for you. We do these to every guest that's joined us, Uh-oh. and we're gonna we'll wrap up today with the final four. And we don't we don't give you the opportunity to prepare in advance. So I mean, we don't go. No. Hey, we'll have Sean Morris on here in a couple of weeks. We don't say, hey, Sean, here's four questions we're going to ask you. And you can prepare. See, we, we like to get you in a bind here. Yeah. And when and our, our great Booker, uh, talent Booker, Sylvia Booker, um, never um, lets the guests know that they will be facing the Final Four. So this is this will be questions so here you for go. Kenny. So, Kenny, uh, first question, um, what is the um, – what is the – best or latest book you've read or a, just a book in general that you're a big fan of well it was a magazine it was GQ that that's your go to read? read yeah okay so that's your you read that when we travel on the road yes you're always a pretty dapper looking guy <laughs> he on, is. on the bench yeah. in fact I said something to him the other day I forget what game it was he had this sport coat on I thought geez Kenny you're really up in your game here I like that Okay, your uh, no, question number two: Music. What is your go-to music of choice? R&B. Anybody in particular? Any artist in particular? Usher, Mary J. Blige. Okay, Kenny's very up to date on music because the other day the guys were playing something <laughs> and I had no. <laughs> and I like music, but I had no clue. And I always go to Kenny. Hey, Kenny, what are they listening to? He knows right off the bat. Okay, our third question: Another profession you would do other than what you currently are involved in. And it doesn't have to be anything you're qualified for. This can be a complete fantasy if you'd like. Acting. Really? I never forget my, my senior year, my last interview I did with Golden Black. Uh, I told him when I'm done playing basketball, I didn't want to coach or act. Really? Yeah, and it's, it's, it's documented, so you can go back and that see. That is fantastic. You so, still have that itch? A little bit from time to time. I, you know what's funny? <laughs> I wanted to go in the real world after my senior year. <laughs> The reality show, the MTV reality show? Yes. That is I actually knew a friend that worked for MTV, and they were telling me they can get me in there for um, an audition. <laughs> but I want to play basketball, too. You know, that might be the next That might be the next uh, step. Maybe the Big Ten Network needs to do a real world and take a player from each team and put them in a house. We might be on to something here. Make a few calls, Kenny. We'll see what we can do for it. Do you have a favorite actor? Denzel Washington. Yeah, you can't go wrong with Denzel. I heard an interview with him the other day um, on NPR. He was talking about all his movie roles and nominations and everything. He's done about everything there is to do. Okay, final question. What is one thing that nobody knows about Kenny Lowe? That you still don't want someone to know. <laughs> <laughs> that you still want kept secret. Or, or that not many people know. I'm sure some... Well, um, my senior year, I had a really hard senior year, and the, the people within the program knew, uh, my coaches, my teammates. Uh, the one thing that people loved about me when I played was my smile. Um, but to be honest, a lot of those, that smile was just, it was a front. Like I had, you know, I lost my best friend. Um, I lost one of my teammates and my grandmother my senior year, and I was having one of my best years of my life. So that was actually probably the hardest year of my life. But I never let anybody know. Like my teammates knew, my coaches knew, my family, but the majority of the people out here didn't know. Precisely what we talked about Just, earlier, yeah, right? Very timely. That's exactly what we were talking but about. But it, it didn't didn't affect his play, which it could have. 
and he didn't allow it to. But uh, that's why he's one of our favorites. That's right. Persevered. Well, Kenny, uh, thanks a lot for coming on. We uh, we appreciate it. Um, you taking time with us and i know uh it's been great to have you around the program and uh, i think you do um in addition to the video work you do uh, helping the coaches prepare for games i think the way you interact with our players is invaluable so um, it was great having you on and thanks for all you do for our program oh thanks for having me i was kind of mad you guys had robbie before me <laughs> I'm yeah but five he had steps he, away <laughs> yeah but he had the no, he had the guy. moscow deal going that's my guy love rob you know so I mean, getting a guy from Moscow is a lot easier than getting someone down the hallway. Well, right. And an update on that. Rob told a story, his thing that nobody knows about him. He said his mom helped him uh, with an art project when he was in kindergarten that he won an award for or at, yeah, a, young, at a yeah, young age. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And a couple of nights later, I'm sitting there watching a game in the evening. My phone buzzes, and I look over, and it's Rob's dad, and he said, Linda, Rob's mom, said that's a complete fabrication. She has no recollection of that story. <laughs> so they had just listened to the podcast, and uh, she wanted to get that on the record. So, Okay, well, again, uh, this was episode 11 of the Purdue Basketball Podcast. Our guest was Kenny Lowe today. and uh, until I, think next, it, I think it's episode 12. Or 12. I'm sorry. I was looking at our, my wrong shit. You're right. Episode 12. And, hey, the uh, Cliz is right. The Cliz gets one right. Our the fact veteran checker. veteran sportscaster. Maybe we'll have to add that at the end of uh, our uh, tapings, the uh, the fact check like they do on Pardon the Interruption yeah, and that yeah. kind of thing. So, Sylvia Booker's been hard at work. We have some uh, great guests upcoming. And, uh, Kenny, hope you enjoy the gift basket that we'll be handing you on the way out the door today. Until next time, folks, be curious, be informed, and be well.